Hello, and welcome back to episode three of the High Schooler's Guide to Psychology. I'm your host, Ava, and I'm joined by two co-hosts today. Please introduce yourself, everyone. Hello, I'm, I'm Mick. And I'm Kate. Yeah, so I'm here with my little brother, Mick, and Kate, and we're going to be talking about... Mick, do you remember what we're talking about today? Dreams and stuff. Yes, we are talking about consciousness and sleep and dreams. And the only thing I know about dreams really is uh, the fact that you can, like, store memories and uh, inside your... in the back of your head and, like, that you, they produce a dream. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll, we're going to talk about dreams a little later, but I think that's mostly correct. Um, so we're going to start by talking about consciousness. Um, do you know what consciousness is, Mick? Yeah, like whether you're awake or not. The funny thing about consciousness is it doesn't actually have a definite definition. So it's a trick question. You can't define it. That's really weird, Ava. <laughs> um, hey, Ava, why do you have to do that? It's a fundamental yet abstract so you have you have to know that there's a concept of consciousness, but it's an abstract conce- um, concept, so you can't really define it. That However, doesn't sound very fun, Ava. Many people have tried to define it. Like, for example, Crash Course um, says that it's the awareness of ourselves and of our environment. So it can either be the state of being awake, like Mick said, or it can be being awareness. So you're awake and you're aware of your surroundings, basically, is what consciousness is. Yeah, so it does have a definition. Yes, but not really, because that's, like, the very basic level. I consciousness was, like, the, like, what you, like, whatever, like, the, like, level of, like, if you're awake or not, like. Yeah, you're awake and you're aware of your surroundings if you're conscious. Okay, so I'm excited to learn more about that. (laughs) Um, So consciousness allows us to take in information about our environment and process, and process it, which is, like we talked about last episode, sensation and perception. Um, and then there is a psychologist named William James who term- coined the term stream of consciousness. Uh, William James was a philosopher and a psychologist, and he was also, he's often referred to as the father of American psychology. Good for him. Yes, so he had many effects on American culture, most importantly being that of the stream of consciousness. It's a metaphor because we only experience one mental event at a time at a very fast moving pace. So you may think that you're like aware of a lot of different things at once, but you're really only aware of one thing at a time and you're just quickly bouncing back and forth. So multitasking isn't real. Multitasking isn't real. And how come I'm so good at it? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You're all like, get wrecked, Ava. No, it's multitasking doesn't exist. Um, you can follow your own stream of thoughts or consciousness. So, like, you can, you know, like, word association? Yeah. Like, if you end up at one thing and then find yourself another thing, you can sort of remember the path you took to get there, and that's, your, really. and that's your stream of consciousness. So you just have a bad memory, as we've established. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he also talked about things like diversity over duality, and he influenced modernist and avant-garde literature and artists. Avant-garde is, like, that's a Project Runway term. Thank you, Kate. Um, consciousness is always shifting and moving around, focusing on one thing and then another. So like I said, you're you're only focusing on one thing at a time. Okay, so consciousness seems like an abstract idea, which we've established. Yes, we have established it's an abstract idea. Good job. 
Um, so you might be focused on schoolwork, but then your consciousness will shift to focus on a funny conversation you had with your friends earlier or to a comeback you wish you had thought of at the moment. So while, you'll, while you're focusing on a thing, your thoughts may wander and your stream of consciousness will divert from being productive to being less productive. See, I have a big problem with that, especially in math class. I'll like stare at the wall for 10 hours and happening? not realize it. But I'm pretty sure that's just ADHD. Does having ADHD have anything to do with the consciousness shifting? It might. I, Kate knows more about ADHD than I do. I'm the inattentive virgin, which means I can't, <laughs> I can't pay attention. <laughs> yeah, so Kate might have troubles keeping her stream of consciousness focused on the task at hand. Oh, I have a big problem with <laughs> which that. Which is why we are now talking about math class and not the <laughs> episode that we are trying to It's okay. Uh, consciousness allows most people to have most thoughts, um, like thinking of the future, having existential crises over how mantis might see the world. So consciousness is just how you think. It's like, just, it's your thoughts. So everything you're thinking is due to your consciousness. Might need to get a grip. Okay. <laughs> something I notice sometimes is like, you think of something, but like when you think of a word or like a sentence that you were going to say, you, like, think of it two times. Like, you think of it without thinking about it. And then you, like, and then you think about it, and you're, like, so you're, like, you, like, have what you're going to say, and then you, like, say it out in your head, you know? Yes, dude, I get that all the time. So there are various states of consciousness. Um, so there's awake and aware of your surroundings, which is the most common. That is, like, when you're conscious. But there's also sleep. And then there's altered states, which are actually going to be discussed in episode seven, which I just finished writing. And that would be medication, dreaming, hypnosis, and and that. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about all of that later. But we're actually talking about dreaming today, not in episode seven. So this section is entitled Awake wow. with Jazz Hands. Woke? <laughs> not woke, Mick. Awake. Um, so thanks to new technology, we can actually see the, the living brain working in action. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes, indeed. So then there's something called cognitive neuroscience, which is the study of how brain activity is linked to our mental process. And that will study thinking, perception, memory, and language. And it's the study of biological functions, aspects, and processes that work in cognition. And it also focuses on neural connections involved in mental processes. You know, I wanted to be a cognitive neuroscientist for a very brief spell. So then we can use brain scans like neuroimaging structure. We can use brain scans, which are called neuroimaging, um, like structural imaging and functional imaging. Structural imaging is specialized for visualization and analysis of anatomical properties of the brain, so it's useful for finding brain damage and abnormalities. And then functional imaging helps show how the brain processes are used in different cognitive and behavioral tasks. Depending on the signal type, a scientist can draw connections between the area of the brain being used and which task is being completed. So. I think, I hopefully y'all are following me in that we are talking about how we can see how a living brain is working and how like the physical processes show how like your consciousness is active throughout the day, right? Yeah, that yeah. doesn't sit right with me. What doesn't sit right with you? And you're just watching a brain. It's someone's <laughs> brain. Oh, it's like they have these little like things on their head and you can like see they're like, this is a picture of a cat and like the happy part of their brain lights up. Oh. But what did you think it was? I'm really was, like, not sure. A sci-fi <laughs> just like on their head. That doesn't sound very fun. Okay, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Obviously, neuroimaging has become more advanced over the centuries, but there are different disagreements on how to interpret neuroimaging findings. Um, people say that correlation doesn't, ca doesn't equal causation, and knowing which parts of the brain certain function takes to place is important, but that's not all there is. So did that make sense to you guys? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Mick. <laughs> Um, so basically, they're saying that just because a certain area of the brain lights up when you do a task, that doesn't mean that part of the brain controls the task. There's like disagreements on what the what the neuroimaging um, data is proving. Huh. Um, there's more than one layer of consciousness. Evidence supports two layers, each with their own support system and operating at the same time. Um, for example, there's dual processing, which is the principle that information is simultaneously processed on, on separate conscious and non-conscious tracks. So dual processing is sort of like your instinct, I guess. And then there's the deliberate and automatic mind. So like touching a pillow and thinking pillow, where the automatic mind records that the pillow is soft, it is light blue, and it is cold because the AC in your room doesn't work. Does that make sense? Yeah. How is it cold if the AC doesn't work? Wait. Okay, it's cold because the AC is weird and blows out too much cold air. I'm it doesn't work. It's broken. Sometimes contradicts itself. It yeah. really doesn't, Kate. It kind of does. If the AC doesn't work, then how is the room cold? It's just an example. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think too deep about it. I'm thinking too deep about it. Um. So yeah, the deliberate mind will be like, this is a pillow, and then your automatic mind will be like, talking about aspects of the pillow. So your automatic mind works like a computer and deals with facts that you can sense. Like and the deliberate mind uses the brain to give names to things you can sense that it recognizes, and that is the thought you have. So like I see Kate's foot and I think this is Kate's foot, but then my automatic mind might be like, hmm, Kate has ugly feet. That's so mean. You can't say that. I have adorable feet. <laughs> Could have picked anything other than my foot. <laughs> Your foot's right in front of my face. So blanket. Fine. I look at the blanket and I think that is Kate's blanket. And then my mouse's blanket. And then my automatic mind would be like, hmm, it's been scratched up by our cat. Because it's her blanket. Fine. Auto fine. Deliberate mind. This is Mouse's blanket. Automatic mind. Mouse has loved this blanket too much. <laughs> Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Thank you. And then there's something called selective attention. So focusing on a particular object in your environment for a certain period of time. So that would allow us to tune out or become blind to what is not important because attention is a limited resource. So your senses can only take in about 11 million pieces of information every second, but you can only consciously register 40 at a time. Huh. So you have to really narrow it down. Huh. Um, so focusing your conscious awareness on a particular stimulus or group of stimuli, you can tune out the rest of the stimuli. And so consciousness is like a spotlight on a busy stage, and that is a reference from Crash Course that it is in quotation marks, so it's a quote. So it will draw your attention to various sensations. So you spotlight consciousness and the object, so the spotlight is consciousness and the object being spotlighted is your deliberate mind, and then the busy stage is the automatic mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as you focus on some sensations, you might ignore others. So Kate, you're focusing on my voice right now, right? Um, actually, I was looking at mouse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking about your voice. So you may not notice that you are sitting on a rock. <laughs> I'm not sitting on a rock, I'm sitting on a pillow. Okay, but like theoretically, if you were sitting on a rock, would you be thinking about it? Probably if I was sitting on a rock. <laughs> okay, but like after you've been sitting on a rock for so long, would you still be thinking about it? Maybe. 
never mind. That's a bad example. I have fall, your foot has fallen asleep written in my notes, but you're not sitting in a way that makes your feet fall asleep. I can still wiggle my toes, yes. Okay, so that's bad that you can, I'm sorry that you can still wiggle your toes <laughs> because it has ruined my example. <laughs> Just pretend my foot is asleep. Yeah. Continue on. How about my foot is asleep? Yeah, mixed foot is asleep. All right, so now you're all going to become very conscious of your breathing. <laughs> you're welcome and then there's something called the cocktail party effect and so this is an example of selective attention so pretend there's a person at a party paying attention to a conversation that they're being a part of and tuning out the rest of the conversation like we don't go to parties very often but like when there's a large group of people do you like tend to focus on the person in front of you and what they're saying yeah yeah or like if we're like in movies when there's like conversations and there's like a party in the background, you don't hear what the other people are saying. It's just like like a distant chatter. But what the uh, what the person that you're supposed to listen to is like saying things. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, so your brain will choose which stimuli are important and absorb and decipher to absorb and decipher. So you will um you will because you are paying attention to this person in front of you who is speaking, you'll be able to effectively ignore everybody else um but however if you're if you like hear your name in a conversation around you that stimuli becomes more important um more important than the conversation you're a part of and you will shift your focus to that conversation instead i know exactly what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and there's primary selective attention is useful but it can also be dangerous for example testing and texting and driving because the text will shift your attention away from the road to your phone which is why it's not good to do that Mm mm-hmm this video is sponsored by the real cost. But That's smoking. Um, so when your attention is directed elsewhere, you can ignore obvious things. And this is called inattentional blindness. So it's usually visual, like the failure to notice totally visible, obvious, but ex- unexpected stimuli because your attention was completely devoted to another task or event. Like how if you're looking for something in the fridge and it's right in front of you, but you don't expect it to be because nothing in life is that easy, so you don't see it. Sure. Yeah, I was thinking of that, too. That happens to me all the time. All right. Um, there's actually an experiment called the Invisible Gorilla Experiment. And gorilla? Yes, gorilla. So when people were focusing on a task set to them, the scientists sent a person in a gorilla suit into the room. And the people were so focused that only about half of them realized there was a gorilla in the room. There are videos on YouTube. Um, do you guys want to watch one? Yeah. Sure. No? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, he said yes. Um, so we'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, fine, we'll watch it right now. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? 14. Charles paying attention to the girl. The answer is 15 passes. Darn! <laughs> I did but see did the girl. You did see the gorilla. I saw the gorilla, but I also was only one number off, so ha, I can multitask. So magicians constantly exploit inattentional blindness by very, yeah, so very frequently. Mick, you practiced magic for a little bit, right? That was a while ago. Did you learn about selective attentions? No. And inattentional blindness? No, I just took these rings that I was like, look, I can take the rings apart and stuff. But they were just like rings that broke open like that. Huh. I can't believe you're giving away secrets of the trade. 
Um, and then there's something called change blindness, which is a failure to notice something different that has changed in the environment. It's related to inattentional blindness, but it's distinct. It's a psychological phenomenon in which we fail to notice changes in our environment, like I just said. And then there's something called the person swap experiment, which will show how this works. So basically someone is talking to a person, usually a stranger, and then they're asking like a stranger and they ask for directions or something like, oh, which way is this park? And then the person, then there's a staged interruption that happens and the person switches with someone similar, but a different person. And about half the time, the person didn't even notice that the person had changed. Um, and this can be dangerous, like a witness in court remembering things that they didn't, ha that didn't happen or arguments in which both people believe they are telling the truth. Wait, wait, so, so like you remember things that are different than actually happened mm -hmm. because you're focusing on another thing? Mm-hmm. So it'll be like, similar but real but different because um change by and so you like didn't notice that there was a change scary yes scary so hank green says we are far less aware about what is going around us than we think we are because again remember um perception is an illusion so you are creating the image that you see in your mind you're creating the image that you can multitask sure uh you can pretend you can multitask all right, so now we're moving on to sleeping. Um, do either of you know what sleep is? Well, uh, yeah, it's when you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but well, well, the thing I know about sleeping, really, is that there are, like, different stages, right? Like, the deepest stage is REM, where you're, like, completely unconscious, and it's, like, the hardest to get somebody out of REM sleep. And then there's, like, light sleep and, like, a few more. You're right. Uh, there is different stages of sleep. Um, sleeping is just another state of consciousness. It is not a time where your body goes dormant. You are actually still very active during this state of consciousness, even if you aren't less aware of your surroundings. So um, during sleep, your perceptual window remains open just a little bit. So your senses are still working, but your brain is interpreting less of the stimuli. So while you're still probably sensing, so while you're still open, so while you're still sensing like 11 million different things are going to be um, interpreting even less than 40 of them while you're sleeping. So sleep is a natural and reoccurring state of mind and body. It can, it's an altered state of consciousness, and it contains slightly inhibited sensory input, reduced muscle activity, and inhibition of all voluntary muscle movement. So you're sort of like yeah, paralyzed. Because, and so you don't hurt yourself while you're sleeping. What? What? Yeah, it's so you don't, like, act out your dream. Well, I and most people probably think of sleeping as, like, being in, like, a complete state of not being con- A complete state of unconsciousness. But, like, you have dreams, and sometimes you sleepwalk, and you, like, uh, turn and twist in your bed. Yeah, so it's not unconsciousness. It's just an altered state of consciousness. Yeah. Is it weird that I kind of think of sleeping as, like, falling? Sort of. <laughs> I don't know, because you're, like, lying on your back, right? And you, like, kind of fall down into the dream. Is there an explanation? I think you've been watching too much anime, Kate. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, you can feel yourself kind of fall down and, like, get heavier. Yeah, but, you know, when you, like, you're, like, about to fall asleep, and then suddenly you, like, feel like you just hit your, what, fell on your back, and you're, like... You like push yourself up, you know? Yeah, that happened to me last night. It's really scary. Is there an explanation for that? It's yeah, your heart just rate drops. Because your heart rate has decreased so rapidly. Uh, yeah. I feel sense. like sleeping is kind of like falling into a 
different state of mind. <laughs> so are we going to talk about sleep or dreams? Sleep. Yeah, because, okay. Um, so sleep is a periodic, natural, reversible, and near total loss of consciousness. So it is sort of unconsciousness. It's like near total loss, but it's still like you're still conscious. It's just an altered state. So it's different from hibernation, comas, or being under anesthesia. Um, sleep is essential, and we spend about a third of our lives being asleep, which if you think about that on the 24-hour basis, a third of 24 is eight. So you should spend about eight hours a night sleeping. I spend way more than eight hours sleeping. How much sleep did you get? Last night? Yes. Well, let's see. I went to bed like 12, maybe one. Woke up at 10. How much is that? Eight hours. Oh, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> I went to bed at one and I woke up at nine. So I also got eight hours. Wait. That math doesn't No, it up. doesn't add up. Wait, so you went to bed at 12 and you woke up at 10? That's 10 hours, sorry. Haha, <laughs> I'm still tired. Kate's like, oh gosh darn, I got way less than my usual 16 hours of sleep. I haven't sleep for 16 hours. Sarah's still asleep. Probably, I haven't seen her today. What, what time is it? That's our other sibling, It's 12.30. Yeah. Sarah's like Frankie Jonas, except now Frankie Jonas <laughs> is more famous than his brothers. Frankie Jonas has brothers? <laughs> Nick doesn't know what we're talking about. Do you think Sarah will be in any, any of the future episodes? Maybe. So, um, sleep is, there's no universally agreed upon reason for why we sleep. I think it's just to get your energy, right? Yeah, so a lot of people think recuperation, growth, or mental functions. And so you don't go crazy. And so you Everybody don't go crazy. Everybody needs a little break. Like the Russian sleep experiment? Or you can have a little day. Wait, I'm going to treat. Oh, be like, so the Russian sleep experiment is like so grand that that would be a better topic for a whole other episode. Oh no, I'll probably put it in like different a case study episode, mm. which I think is going to be episode ah episode eight. So catch me talking about the Russian sleep experiment in episode eight. Um, so just like consciousness and being awake technology can show us how we sleep um so yes the technology that shows how we sleep is called an electroencephalograph um it's a machine it's also called an eeg which is what i will be referring to it as from now, from now on and it's a machine that measures the brain's electrical activity a measurement of electrical activity in different parts of the brain and and the recording of the activity so that's just what it does the brain doesn't require doesn't power down while sleeping. It's still completely active, as I think I have said earlier. Like you're still very conscious while you're sleeping. And then there are stages of sleep. Does anybody know how many stages of sleep? Four. Four. Yes, you're right. How'd you know that? Because I think I saw a video on it on like YouTube, and I like um, I remember either there being four or five. Well, good job, Nick. I don't remember what they are besides from like REM and light sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's four distinct stages, and they're defined by different brain waves, patterns, etc. Um, so your endocrine system will stop releasing cortisol and some others, um, like the other awake hormones, at nighttime, and it will release melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. And then there are alpha waves, which are the uh, like the awake brain waves. Um, I don't know why. Like I think it'll your brain will stop releasing alpha waves at, when you fall asleep as well. And so then you enter REM stage, which is rapid eye movement. 
rapid eye movement. I thought it was just is that the draining period. Yes, so it's a reoccurring sleep stage which uh, during which vivid dreams commonly occur. Dreams can occur in the first three. Oh, sorry, this is the last stage. Um, there's before, so it goes um, NREM 1, NREM 2, and NREM 3, and then REM sleep. But we're going to talk about REM sleep first. Okay. So REM, what I know is REM sleep is like you you dream in REM sleep. Like that's where you dream. That's like where you get the dreams you remember. Yeah. Um, it's also the deepest stage, right? Yeah. Um, so dreams can occur in the first three stages, which are the NREMs one through three, but they won't be nearly as vivid. And then REM sleep is the most important stage of sleep. Um, the motor cortex is still very active during REM sleep, but the brain will block these messages. So your muscles are extremely relaxed to the point of almost being paralyzed. Um, this is called sleep, like, have you all ever heard of sleep paralysis? Yeah. So that's, like, where you're paralyzed, except your brain is active. Like, you're still in your paralysis from sleep. Yeah, I'm so scared of that. Oh, my gosh. I'm talking about it later in the episode, so stay scared. What were you saying, Mick? I think this is just an urban myth or whatever. But don't you, can't you, like, see, like, things, like, in REM sleep? Like, you kind of, like, you're uneasy and, like, you hallucinate a little. In sleep paralysis? Yeah. Yeah. That's not an urban myth. That's true. Yeah, that's Uh, just what happens. It's called night terrors. No, they're not. Sometimes they are. I think night terrors is more of the chronic, chronic type, isn't it? I okay. guess they could sort of be night terrors sometimes. Yeah, one of my friends says night terrors, and apparently, like, they're not, not like nightmares where you, like, wake up and you know what happened. They're, like, when you think of them, you're, like, it's, like, weird and odd and, like, like scary, but you, you don't know how it's scary. That's, like, well, his best example is, like, there's just a cube. And it was just like the whole night terror was a cube, but he was like flipping out that he was looking at a cube. Oh, which friend is this? Redacted. That makes sense. <laughs> Cucumber. <laughs> um, so REM sleep repeats every 90 minutes, and it's very important biologically and physiologically. And REM sleep was discovered by Eugene Asarinsky. And then there's NREM1, which is the first stage of sleep. It is irregular, non-rapid eye movement, and it happens right after we fall asleep. And during this stage, you have hypnagogic sensations, which are vivid perceptions, which are auditory, visual, tactile, or kinetic, that occur during the transformation between wake- transition sorry, from between wakefulness and REM sleep, more specifically during NREM1, and it's similar to sleep paralysis. And that happens every night? No. Uh, during during NREM one, you can have hypnagogic sensations, oh. which are like a feeling of threat, suffocation, floating, spinning, or falling. So like, oh, yeah, so like when you, when you feel like you're falling, that would be a hypnagogic sensation. Yeah, we were talking about that all earlier. Right? Mm-hmm. So it is the fort, right when you're falling asleep, right? You have that. I always thought that was like not correct. Yeah. In some way, I and, feel like I'm spinning all the time when I'm trying to sleep. Oh my gosh! Oh, yeah. Do y'all ever get the floating thing? Oh, yeah. I used to have a dream when I was little that I was, like, sitting on my bed, and it was, like, floating around. Dude, me too! And it was, like, just, like, going, like, Ooh, and I could, like, feel it. Mm-hmm. I never had that dream. It wasn't a dream. It's a hypnagogic sensation, I Nick. never had that hypnagogic sem- sem- sensation. Well, good for you. Um, and hypnagogic sensations occur in 40 to 80% of people with narcolepsy or cataplexy. 
What so that's those? just a fun fact. Uh, narcolepsy is like when you fall asleep randomly, like without control. Oh uh, yeah, I knew someone from summer camp who that happened to. Um, there's a in Noragami, the main character has like a condition where her soul leaves her body, and everyone just thought she had necrolepsy because she would like fall asleep randomly, but really she was just like floating around. And then there's NREM two, in where you get sleep spindles, which are bursts of neural oscillatory activity i.e. brainwaves. And they have an, sleep spindles have an unclear function, but they most likely help with memory. And in NREM2, you are definitely asleep, but you could easily wake up. And then finally, there's NREM3, in which case your brain releases delta waves. Um, and so now we're going to talk about sleep deprivation. What are, what are delta waves? Delta waves are high amplitude neural oscillations with a frequency between 0.5 and 4 hertz. Delta waves, like other brain waves, can be recorded with an EEG and are usually associated with the deep stage three with the deep stage three of NREM sleep, also known as slow wave sleep, and are and aid in characterizing the depth of sleep. So they're a brain wave that uh, characterize NREM three. Okay. Do any of you know what sleep deprivation is? When you don't sleep. Yeah. Lack of sleep. It's also called being a high school student. <laughs> oh my gosh, I stayed up for 20 when I was straight the other day. That had nothing to do with school. No, it didn't, but I was very tired. Um, so sleep deprivation has a lot of bad effects, like weight gain. It can impact your mood or emotional state. It's an indicator for depression, and your immune system, you can suppress your immune system, and then you have a slowed reaction time. So don't drive while you're tired. Awesome. I guess I shouldn't drive to school in the mornings. Exactly, right? And then there are a ton of sleep disorders that I'm going to briefly talk about. Okay, so now we're talking about sleep disorders. Wait. So sleep disorders can have negative impacts on your life. Do any of you know a sleep disorder? Insomnia. Excellent. That's actually the first one on my list. Sleepwalking? Or is that just like a... Um, it's not on my list, but that might count. Um, so insomnia is a sleep disorder that causes the person to have trouble falling and staying asleep. It can be long-term or short-term and come and go intermittently. And then primary insomnia isn't linked to an underlying health condition, which is different than secondary insomnia. And primary insomnia can be caused by stress, distracting things in the person's environment, or things like jet lag and general lack of sleep. So you can have temporary insomnia, which is called primary insomnia, and that can just be like factors in your life. Like, if you're really stressed out over a chemistry test and you can't sleep, and then you end up going to, to do lattice problems in the kitchen, um, that would be primary insomnia. But, like, if you have, like, a natural insomnia disorder, that's secondary Such insomnia. a specific example. Yeah, it is. Um, it's definitely not a personal example. Anyway, do any of you know any other sleep disorders? No. Narcolepsy. Good. That's the second <laughs> one on my list. Um, narcolepsy is uncontrolled daytime sleepiness. The person may fall asleep suddenly, and other problems include catalepsy, which is a loss of muscle control, slurring, or even collapsing, hallucinations, sleep paralysis, or disrupted sleep. Do any of you know any others? No. No. So we also have sleep apnea, REM sleep behavioral disorder, night terrors, and nightmares. Did y'all know nightmares were a sleep disorder? Does that mean everybody has a sleep disorder? Yeah, we'll talk about that. So sleep apnea is a person who regularly stops breathing while they sleep. Oh. Had that. Oh, yeah, that's like, you have to add a hurting one. But that's like where you have to wear, like, the thing while you sleep, like the breathing tank. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend in kindergarten who, had, not kindergarten, I had a friend in, like, elementary school who had that, and she had to wear a breathing tank while she slept. 
That seems like a big drag. Yeah. So, like, their brain won't tell the muscles to take in air, and it can affect the lower brainstem, and there's a lot of different kinds, like narcotic-induced central sleep apnea, high-altitude periodic breathing, and idiopathic primary central sleep apnea. And then there's REM sleep behavioral disorder, and that's the perilous that is supposed to accompany REM sleep is incomplete or absent, so the person will act out dreams. Causes unknown short causes are unknown, and at short term, it may be caused by substance withdrawal, and it's dangerous. So that would be like sleepwalking. Or sleepwalking might be like um, a side effect of REM be- sleep behavior disorder. Yeah. And there's night terrors, which we briefly talked about. And that would be screaming, fa- flailing, or fear whilst sleeping. And it's often accompanied by sleepwalking. Episodes usually last for a few seconds to a few minutes. And it's present in nearly 40% of children and less adults. And it may be caused by stress, sleep deprivation, sleep schedule disruptions, or fevers. Like I said, my friend Cucumber had uh, has night terrors, like, a lot. Yeah, so mixed friend Cucumber has night terrors. And then there's nightmares, which are a disturbing dream associated with negative feelings, like anxiety or fear. It's common in children, and they decrease after the age of 10. So you're more likely to have a nightmare in the second half of the night. Um, they're only considered a disorder when they occur frequently, cause major distress during the day, affect your memory, cause low energy or fatigue during the day, problems with functioning during the day, or fear of darker sleeping. So while everyone gets nightmares, they're only considered a, a disorder if they like affect your ability to function in life. Like your butterfly dream. <laughs> that did not affect my ability to function in life, Kate. Are you sure about that? Yes, about? I'm positive. I'm not afraid of butterflies. Anymore. yeah Uh, so nightmares can be caused by stress trauma sleep deprivation and butterflies medications (laughs) substance abuse other disorders scary books or movies etc so what's your your guys's most memorable nightmare i don't know i was like Four, and I think is this I, the Pizza Planet monster? It is the Pizza Planet I had a dream that the Pizza Planet monsters from Toy Story were crawling all over my face, and I woke up screaming, and all I could see were their little eyes staring at me. The claw. It was so scary. <laughs> I had a dream where our house was haunted, and I was going to be eaten by a demon, but none of you guys cared. Oh, We would care, man. Yeah. So, guys, guess what we're talking about now? Dreams. dreams. Yes, dreams. Yay. Um, guess how long we spent dreaming? A minute. A second. Two minutes. Six years. What? <laughs> I thought you meant tonight. Yeah, so we spent six lives of our, six years of our lives dreaming. The average dream is based on the day you just had, so some can be weird, like Mick was saying. It's based on memories you have stored. Um, and some nightmares are meant to help pacify daytime fears. So, like, if you're stressed out about something, you might have a dream that shows you how to deal with that stress. Oh, my gosh. I was stressed out about putting eyeliner on the other day because I'm not good outside a dream. And the entire dream, I was just putting eyeliner on over and over again. I kept messing up. And I, like, put all over, like, this, like, my eye. Like, I had just, like, a big black, like, line across my face. <laughs> and I was like, it's not even. It was so stressful. <laughs> Isn't there that, uh, that, like, weird, like, poster in the 50s? And I was like, do you you see this guy in your dreams? And the only reason people saw him in his dreams was because of the poster. (laughs) That's funny. I once had a dream about doing chemistry homework. Nobody thought that was funny. Okay. That's just sad, (laughs) It's not. It's not sad. (laughs) Okay. 
So um, stimuli you might not have noticed can be incorporated to your dreams as well. Like I'm sure you guys have heard like um, every face you've seen in a dream is someone you've seen in real life. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. like, you may not have noticed that person, but your like senses took in that face. Like and that then... poster in the 50s with the random guy's face. So was... um, So what is the purpose of dreaming? Do any of you know? To sort through your feelings. The... I don't know. There's actually a lot of theories. The first theory is called one rheology, one urology. Um, I don't care how to pronounce it. So it's a, a mix of neuroscience and psychology, and it's the study of dreams. Current studies are about the correlation between dreams and what we currently understand about the functions of the brain. It also shows how the brain works when dreaming in relation to memories and mental disorders, and it studies the process of dreams and other than the meaning behind them. So that's not really like, one rheology is like not a theory, but it's like the study of what dreams are, or like what the purpose of them is. And so then there's the Freudian theory, Frody, Fru, it's fruit, right? Freud? No. Fruity. Fruit loops. No, like Sigmund Freud. Freud, it's Freud. Um, there's the Freud theory, which says that dreams offer wish fulfillment. So what you remember of your dreams in the morning was symbolic of your inner conflicts, um, but it's unfortunately not widely recognized as a scientifically sound or accepted theory. So Freud would say, Kate, that you wanted to do your eyeliner well, and that was why you dreamed about doing eyeliner. Oh, I did want to do it well. Of course I wanted to have good eyeliner. And Freud might say of me that I wanted to best a butterfly that was trying to kill people. And Freud might say about me that I wanted to die alone in my bedroom. Yes, Freud might say that about you, Mick. (laughs) Um, And then there's the information processing theory which says that dreams help us sort out and process the day's events and fix them in our memories. So some people recall things like new tasks better after they've dreamt, and it's, and this is an approach to studying cognitive development. It's based on the idea that humans process information rather than just reacting to stimuli, and this will focus on children's development, maturing, and growth. So the information processing theory just shows that dreaming is, like, it serves the purpose of helping you process your information from the day and, like, learn to sort of settle in your new environment a bit better. And then there's this physiological function theory that says dreaming may promote neural development and preserve neural pathways by providing the brain with stimulation. So while you're sleeping, your brain needs to have this stimulation in order to, like, not completely collapse. So dreaming is important in that respect. So they say when brains are stimulated, they expand connections. So babies sleep so often to develop their brains, and then dreams have, serve a physiological function. So the purpose of dreams is to help expand and preserve your brain, basically. My most random and vivid dream was like there were skeletons, and there were spooky, scary skeletons trying to break into my crib. Spooky, scary skeletons. Yeah, that sounds like a scary dream. Um, then there's the cognitive development theory, which is similar to a previous to previous theories. They say that dreams are part of our cognitive development. They draw on our knowledge and understanding of the world. They mimic reality, and they have the same brain activity as daydreaming. Once I had a dream about a sidewalk, and there was a building, and there was a tiny house inside the building, like in the wall, and it was a very specific street. Why does it sound like Inception? It was a very specific street. 
And then we were walking later, and we walked right down the same street. Well, it wasn't like the same street. Like, it didn't look like the same street, but it felt the same as the street, you know? Oh, it was super yeah. weird. Sometimes, sometimes when I have dreams, like, my brain, like, makes up memories. So, like, the things in it make sense. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and also the completely different from that. Uh, so, I'm like, in Inception, is it true that, like, uh, when you're in, a, like, an inception, like, when you dream about something too close to reality, you start to think it actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you, like, ask your boss to, to, and, like, let's say you quit your job in a dream, and then you, the next day, I mean, this is a really extreme example, then the next day you don't get go to work because you think you quit your job. Yeah, that would not be ideal. Um, I've definitely had dreams like that where I, like, think I did something that I had to wake up and remind myself, like, no, Ava, you didn't join that club. You don't, and you're not, like, you don't have any responsibilities through that. Or, like, no, you didn't get English homework. What are you talking about? Or stuff like that. Kate, you had dreams, like, where you predicted the future before, right? Yeah, like, the street, and I had a dream about an airport once that we went to later, and I had a dream about the person sitting in the airport. It said we were, like, it was the exact same airport. And there was a person sitting across from me, and there were, like, little birds in the airport. And we went to the airport that I jumped about later, which was really creepy. And there was, like, a person sitting in the same chair. Do you all ever talk to yourself in the future through dreams? No. No. That's Uh, just you, Ava. (laughs) Yikes. Oh, yeah, so, like, I'll see, like, myself doing random things, like, homework, where they, like, won't understand what's going on. So, like, ask questions and be like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? And then, like, future Ava is all like, well, Ava, I'm doing lattice energy homework problems. Is this is there like our explanation behind like how some of us dream of like inferred person like it's not like we're looking at ourselves and then some of us dream of like first person where we're like normal see? There might be nothing that I know. I like only dream in third person. We might need a, we might need a dreaming part two. We might need a dreaming part two. Um but anyway to continue what I was saying like, I'll have little conversations with myself, and then later I'll be, like, doing lattice energy homework problems, and I'll hear little voices like, what are you doing? Like, do y'all never get that? In your dreams? No, like, in real life. Like, y'all dream it, and then it'll happen. Never? Mm, no. Wow. Guess I'm special. Shocking. And then REM sleep is the last theory They say REM sleep triggers neural activity and dreams are side effects of REM sleep. Your brain is attempting to create a story from all the sensations and emotions from the day when you're sleeping and your memory. So that is the last theory for dreams. What was y'all's favorite theory? Probably the, I want paying attention for the first one. Mick. The first theory was what, oh, the first theory was Freud's theory. I like Freud. Really? Wait, can you, no. can you give me a brief synopsis of what Freud's theory was? I need to pick up the top. Uh, Freud thought your dreams are about wish fulfillment. Information processing theory says that your dreams are to help you process information and, like, it, yeah, to help you process information throughout the day and, like, more get settled into your environment. Well, Freud's- and then physiological function theory says dreaming provides neural stimulation to help. To promote brain growth. Cognitive development says that dreams are part of cognitive development and they mimic reality and they draw on our knowledge and understanding of the world. And then REM, the REM theory says that dreams are a side effect of REM sleeping.
And I don't know why they can't all be right. Yeah, I agree with Kate. Okay, but it doesn't have to be which theory you agree with, just which one's your favorite. I like the one that says that dreams of your brain not collapse, because that's pretty scary. I don't uh, want my brain Physiological to... function yeah, theory. I don't want my brain to collapse. Freud seems like the most normal, but he I like... seems kind of chill, to be honest. Oh, God. Um, my favorite theory is the REM theory, because I like the idea that dreams are a happy accident. A serendipity, if you will. I think the Freud theory and the Ram theory are probably... Serendipity, yes. Wait, so, what is... Do you think... Oh, this is a weird thought I had a while ago. Do you think if you, like, if you, like, like, the shock, like, if you, like, die or something, uh, you can still have dreams before you, like, fully, like, go away? Uh, maybe? Um, I've never died, so I can't tell you for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, but you definitely still have neural activity before you, like, die. So technically, before you die, like, right, like, like, let's say you're shot, like, when you have a little bit of neural activity left, is that enough time to have, like, a quick dream? Because aren't dreams, like, like, dreams can be, like, feel like hours long, but they're only, like, a second long? Yeah, maybe. I think I'd be more of a daydream unless you lose consciousness. Because um, I don't think you fall asleep if you've gotten shot. I mean, maybe you do. Um, people always say, like, your life flashes before you, your eyes before you die, so that might be, like, sort of similar to what you're saying. Any other commentary? No. No? Okay, so we're going to move. Wait, one last thing. Uh, Freud's theory, I mean, so technically, if, like, a baby was, like, asleep right when it was born, the opposite of death, uh, would... Would the baby like? Would the baby have like uh still be able to have dreams if it was based on Freud's theory? Because the baby like never experienced anything. I don't think it would, unless it it's like dreaming about its mom or like bed or like uh being inside a belly. Or like being inside a belly. Yeah. Who knows? Honestly, I I have infantile amnesia, so I can't remember what I dreamed about as a child. All right, now we're going to talk about sleep paralysis, Sandman, and daydreaming. Okay, so sleep paralysis. Do any of you know what sleep paralysis is? It's like seeing things that aren't there. Yeah, and like not being able to move. We talked about it earlier. We did talk about it. Yes, dreaming with your eyes open. So it's a state during waking up or falling asleep, so the person cannot move or speak. Hallucinations may occur, and they usually cause fear, and they last for a few minutes. So sleep paralysis is actually genetic, maybe, um, according to some scientists. Isn't uh, isn't a common sleep paralysis thing for like an old person to start sitting in the like on your bed? Yeah, that's called the old hag sleep paralysis. Um, they occur in people with narcolepsy or even other uh, otherwise healthy people. They can be triggered by sleep deprivation, psychological stress, or abnormal sleep schedules, or dysfunction in REM sleep. They're very common but not serious, and anywhere between 8 and 50% of people will experience sleep paralysis at some point in their life. I actually had sleep paralysis once. Did y'all know that? No. Yes. What happened? I was sleeping, and then, like, I wasn't sleeping anymore, but I couldn't move, and then there was, like, this weird ghost demon lady hanging over my bed. But she was, like, on the ceiling, and you know how I have a loft bed? So yeah. she was, like, right there. It was so creepy. 
Um, so 5% of people are affected regularly with sleep paralysis. Like, they'll have it more than once. A lot of people think sleep paralysis played a part in alien abduction stories or even other paranormal events. That's no trick because aliens and ghosts are real. Yes, Kate thinks aliens and ghosts are real. I actually agree with her. Um, but I do think some alien abduction stories can be explained by sleep paralysis. Not like, all of them. Not all of them. But, while driving. but you know, like when people are like, there was a light outside my window and suddenly I was floating and I was in the mothership and like, oh, yeah, that's, that's probably sleep paralysis, right? No one remembers going to a mothership. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> um, so a person might hear sounds like humming, buzzing, or even whispering. They could feel like they're suffocating or might imagine that something is actually suffocating them. Like they might hallucinate it. Like when I had sleep paralysis, it was really hard to breathe. It felt like something was sitting on my chest. And there are also strong emotions like panic or fear that are very common. And people who regularly have sleep paralysis uh, usually have a shorter REM cycle. So a normal REM cycle is like 90 minutes. So people who regularly experience sleep paralysis, theirs will be shorter than 90 minutes. What if somebody had sleep paralysis and like they, they had a lot, so they stopped getting scared from it. But then one time it was a real demon lady and they and they were like, okay, it's never sleep paralysis thing. Well, then they might die. But I think if there was a demon lady actually in your room, you'd die anyway, whether you were scared or not. Yeah. So it might be better to not be scared. How would you escape from a demon lady, Kate? Um, huh. I just accept it. Yeah, me too, Meg. I'd cry, probably, but I cry about most things. That's true. There are very, there are several common hallucinations, most commonly being an intruder in the room, like a witch, old hag, shadow figure, and then another common sensation is um, hallucination, sorry, is the sensation of floating. Do you think, like, the, um, white-eyed children and the black-eyed children are, like, sleep paralysis? Um, I don't think so, only because those don't happen when you're asleep, right? Well, the white-eyed children do. Wait, what are the, I know the black-eyed children, but... The white-eyed children are the ones that appear right in your room. That might be sleep paralysis. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the black-eyed children are, though. Yeah, that's probably aliens. Black-eyed children are aliens, white-eyed children are sleep paralysis. Yeah. We should explain for the audience, yeah. Yeah. Kate, you want to since you're a resident paranormal expert? Basically, it's an urban legend about these children with black eyes who, like, come and knock on your door and ask to come inside. And you, like, can't say no to them, I'm pretty sure. Like, it's really hard to say no to them, but you won't notice their eyes until they're inside. And they're usually, like, teenagers or, like, young children. And they'll, like, come inside your house, and then I'm pretty sure they're just, they'll just disappear. I haven't heard this story in a while, but basically it's just, like, children with black eyes who, like, come to your door and ask to come inside. Don't they kill you? They might, but I'm not positive. I feel like I feel like up. once you let them in. Yeah, I'll look it up. I feel like you're not supposed to even open the door for them. Yeah. We watched a horror movie about them once. Yeah, do you remember what it was called? Yeah, it was called Black Eyed Children. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I'm reading this from tbsnews.net. They might knock on your door on a late wintry night. You may see them approaching your car while you're waiting at a signal or a gas station. It might seem like they need help or like they just stand still for no reason. These children do not look threatening. They would want to get inside your house or your car. They will be persistent. Suddenly, you will notice something is not right about these children. Their eyes, pure black from lid to lid, Dead black orbs devoid of scalia or iris will send a chill up your spine, and you have finally come across the black-eyed children. Black-eyed children or black-eyed kids are an urban legend of paranormal creatures that resemble children between ages of 6 and 16. These creatures with pale skin and black eyes have reportedly been seen hitchhiking, panhandling, or at the doorsteps of residential homes. So that's straight from the Wikipedia.
A dozen of stories keep circulating, all following a very similar pattern. Kids with eyes completely blacked out or appear will appear at a person's home or vehicle, knock on the door, and then insist on getting inside. Anyone who has encountered them has almost immediately felt an overwhelming sense of dread. Besides blackout eyes, these children typically appear normal. Sometimes their attire is outdated. In extreme unusual instances, people have reported encountering creatures with talon-like feet. Um, So let's see what happens. Actually in Texas is where they originated. Great. (laughs) In in Alvaline, Texas. The husband was all like, did you see their eyes? And then his nose started bleeding. And then the power went out. And then the kids said, like, our parents are here. And then they left the house. And then... Oh, yeah, they do leave. And then the wife noticed that there were two men at the end of the driveway. The power came back on after the kids left. And through the next weird, weird things happened throughout the house. Like, three out of four cats went missing. And the fourth had been found dead in a pool of its own blood. No! The husband continued to have nosebleeds and finally went to the doctor. And then he was diagnosed with skin cancer. And, yeah, so now... Basically, they ruin your life. Yeah, basically, they curse you, I guess. Now, do you want to talk about the white-eyed children? Oh, uh, yeah. So, I think those are supposed to be, like, messengers of death. Like, they'll appear right in your bedroom, and you, like, won't know... Like, you won't be scared when you see them. Like, you'll just be like, oh, there's a child in my room. But after they disappear, you're like, oh, my God, there's a child in my room, you know? Like, you won't think about it till after they're gone. Supposedly, if you see them, either you or someone close to you is supposed to die. Yikes. All right, do you want to talk about Sandman now? Yeah, Sandman was an actual topic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so Sandman is from Western and Northern European folklore. Sandman puts people to sleep and encourages good dreams by sprinkling sand in their eyes. He appears in children's stories a lot, but he actually has a sinister version in the literature. So Sandman is like good, but he has an evil version called E.T.A. Hoffman. No, sorry, not called E.T.A. Hoffman, created by E.T.A. Hoffman. Um, he took the original Sandman, but he throws eyes in this. He throws sand in the eyes of children who won't sleep, and then takes their eyes to feed to his children. Um, and then there's a different version of Sandman in Russia called Ian the Elder, who was similar to Sandman but more malevolent. And then in French Canada, Sandman is called the Seven O'clock Guy. Um, That's such a fun name. Yeah, and then oh, it's the Seven O'clock Guy. <laughs> And then he's popular in modern media. Like, do y'all remember the Guardians movie? I love that movie. The main guy was kind of like Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I know about. what you're talking about. Yeah, do you remember that movie that had like the Toots Fairy and Jack Frost and Sandman and everything? No. Hmm. So uncultured. When did that come out? He might have been little. Rise of the Guardians, and it came out in 2012. So that was, what, seven years ago? Yeah. So Mick was like four. <laughs> no wonder he doesn't remember it. Anyways, we were talking about Sandman, right? Well, that's all I had to say about Sandman. So now we're going to talk about daydreaming, unless you guys... I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> okay, do you guys know what daydreaming is? Like when you're, it's not, it's not like really, it's just like thinking about something, but you like get deep into it, right? It's not like, it's not exactly like dreaming. It's not like dreaming. So daydreaming is when a stream of consciousness detaches from your current external state and focuses on a more personal and internal train of thought. So it's like when you've stopped paying attention to the world around you and you're like more focusing on your imagination. Yeah. And it's very common uh, people spend about 47% of their waking time daydreaming. 
um, and it goes by various names such as mind wandering, fantasy, etc. There's no constant uh, definition for it. Um, there's many types of daydreaming. Um, all are disassociative, and some forms of daydreaming can even be bad, like maladaptive daydreaming. And then others can be beneficial. Yeah, maladaptive daydreaming, where you like like a weird disorder, where like you like want to daydream and it like tears away from your life. Yeah, maladaptive daydreaming is basically like obsessive daydreaming, like it takes over your life, like you said. Um, I'm going to discuss that more in depth in episode seven, though, for altered states of consciousness. So if anyone is interested in maladaptive daydreaming, stay tuned for that. Um, and that's all I have for y'all today. Anyway, that's all. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, so I am doing the sites because I'm the theme of this episode. No, you're not, man. Stop saying that. <laughs> well, I'm reading the sites anyways because I felt like it. Um, there's Crash Course, uh, which is like a... You don't have to explain it there. I just okay. The so there's Crash... So our sites are Crash Course... Dictionary.com, Wikipedia.org, Sanford.education, NCBI.LLM.NIH.government, VeryWellMind.com, Scholarpedia.org, ScienceDirect.com, web, Web.com, and WebMD. WebMD.com, and MayoClinic.com. And then here, I think... You don't have to read the hyperlinks. Those are just the articles I used. Okay. Well, those are the sites. I'll see you guys maybe in the future. Nick wants to do another episode. Isn't that sweet? All right. Bye, Nick. Thank you for coming. Bye. He's run away. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Um. Anyway, bye. Have a nice evening or day or whatever you're doing. Kate, say goodbye. Bye.